Well, I also want to welcome you here today, especially if you're a first-time guest with us or a returning guest uh, here today. My name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here. And I got to tell you, I am so pleased uh, at, at how many are here this weekend. Uh, last night, Saturday night, we had great attendance. And uh, every time uh, there's a four-day weekend on the calendar, as far as the school calendar, I'll just tell you, every pastor in town gets nervous that everyone's going to leave town. So uh, glad that you are here uh, this weekend. If you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open that to Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we have these blue Bibles available in our worship space and you can find Luke chapter 12 on page 1618 in those Bibles that we have available for you. Uh, I'll be sharing the the third message in this series that we've uh, been in called Double Blessing. And we started with this foundational idea that living generously is how we double the blessing God has poured into our life. Uh, We talked about the idea that that God is in the business of blessing and blessing is who God is, it's what God does and that the Christian life is a response to what God does in our life, the blessings that God pours into our life and in our sharing those blessings with others, uh, in the way that we share them with God through our gratitude and the way we share them with others in our generosity, uh, that we are doubling the blessing uh, that God has given to us. In the very first week uh, of that series, we began this focus on generosity uh, by inviting uh, ourselves into a challenge of practicing gratitude. Uh, 21 days of gratitude uh, and the challenge was was real simple that every single day you would write down three things that you are grateful for, uh, that what you wrote down was specific. You wouldn't just write down life but a specific aspect of your life or something that happened that day for which you are grateful. And the third thing being that the 63 things you would write down over those 21 days that each of them would be unique. Now, if this is the first time that you've heard about that, you're welcome to make it a seven-day challenge of gratitude. You can do that over the next seven days that we have remaining, Uh, but the idea is to focus on gratitude uh, as we think about generosity. Now, I will tell you, someone last night asked me the question. uh, She said, can I I list you as one of the things I'm grateful for, and and can I list uh, Pastor Sharon, and can I list Pastor Shea? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, assuming you're actually grateful for us, you can, you, know, you can list us. I said, but why are you asking me? And she said, well, I'm, I'm running out of things to write down. I said, well, that's great, I guess. Uh, so yeah, keep, just write down the names of people in your life uh, that you are grateful for, to, just to remind ourselves of how richly our lives uh, have been blessed by the people that we share life with and all the ways that God has been faithful, God has been good. I love that last song uh, that, that we just sung, Lurse and I we're talking about the other day that we both had that song in our heads for, uh, for many weeks, just the, the goodness of God present in our lives, the goodness that has been with us all the days of our life. Um, I want to repeat a sentence you've already heard. It was in that opening video. First Methodist Mansfield is a self-funded nonprofit, which means that every th- single thing we are able to, everything, every single thing we do, we are able to accomplish only because of your gifts. I often share it uh, in this way, that everything that we we do, we do together. And in hearing that, I hope that you feel a sense of pride. I, I hope that you not only know that, but that you're proud of that. You're proud of the way that your church uh, is in, investing in one another, growing disciples, investing in children and youth and families and people of all ages, uh, that your church is invested in, in, in your local community. We're investing in our region. We're investing all around the world in bringing God's kingdom here. And though you may not be a direct participant in each of those things, because of 
of your, your generosity, you're a part of all of those things. Uh, this uh, week here at the church, uh, we, had, we had four funerals, which is rare to have so many over the course uh, of a week. And, and you may have been at one of, of those funerals, but, but, but by your generosity, you enabled your church to do that. Um, I did one of those, uh, Pastor Caesar did one of those, Pastor Shea did one. I believe the fourth one was done by a pastor who grew up in this church. Uh, he, he felt a call to ministry in this church. He's now serving a church in the Dallas area, but, uh, but, but that is, you're a part of all of those things. Uh, you're a part of everything that this church does, and, and I want you to feel a sense of pride uh, of all the things uh, that your church does and the way that your generosity enables those things to happen. As you think about that and consider the magnitude of what your church does, I want you to hear that uh, in a particular story, uh, the story of the Gonzalez family. Will you please join me in watching this video? No two children are the same. The same thing goes for a child on the autism spectrum. It doesn't mean my son is uh, not gonna succeed. He's just different. We had Christian in January of 2014, and then we had Ryan in February of 2017. When we had Christian, he had a little bit of a struggles in the beginning. Friends that we'd noticed their kids were taking a longer time to speak. Christian was still very far behind. Normally by like 18 months, a child has like 15, 20 words. The only word that Christian had that he used repeatedly was Dada. And then you get to three and it's, okay, he should be out of some of these things that he does and he sh yeah he should have outgrown it his teacher had posted a video and everybody's doing um london bridge is falling yeah. down yeah. and christian is in the center and the group is holding hands going around him and he is holding his ears yeah. and you can tell that it's it's overwhelming to him yeah. we go in for a visit and we show her the video and that's when she says you know why don't we go ahead and get him tested and you think, oh, my child is perfect and there's nothing wrong with him and he's um, so smart and it was disbelief. I was like, there's no way that Christian has this. Later, doing research and reading and everything else, I was like, oh, okay, he might be on the autism yeah. spectrum. Like, yeah. let's be prepared. We knew that when we, when things settled down at the house, that we would eventually get to a point to find a home church. We, we made the agreement early on that if we walked in the door, if he didn't want to be there, we would turn around and leave. We visited a few churches and they weren't very accommodating to him. I found the Bible study here at the church where we connect and we have fellowship. We are studying the Word of God, but we are also, you know, talking about some of the day-to-day -day troubles that we go through with our special needs children. So I brought the kids, I came by myself. They have this intake form that you have to fill out, literally probably six to eight pages. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, this is a lot. You're like, my son is high maintenance. Yes. <laughs> we don't have to always be the advocate uh, for him and his good day. There are so many staff members here that do a wide variety of what I have to imagine is extra love uh, that they do to make our kids feel comfortable here. He, Christian, just really connected with them and went in right away and wanted to play. It wasn't something I was used to, and I was fully prepared to get my kids, jump back in the car, yeah. and go home if it doesn't work. But it worked. Christian loved it. He, he really loved it. They remember what Christian likes, what he doesn't like. They've put a lot of thought into the day before Christian even got there. I mean, we've seen him grow 
a lot. He loves church. It's his, it's his second home. We're at the church at least two evenings a week. Um, you know, the church does so much for us with like respite and their vacation Bible camp for special needs that I know that there's going to be programs that Christian might go to in the future. Like, you know, he might go tonight to Shine Prom or things like that in his future. So, you know, I want to volunteer for as many special needs things as I can because I feel like it's my way of kind of paying it forward for when it's Christian's turn. I think it was, we went to the training class for Night to Shine Prom, mm-hmm. and that's whenever um, we found out about Hands of Christ. We assist with light home repairs for members of the church who are either you know, financially or physically incapable of doing it themselves. I'm always closer to God when I'm serving others. And so ever since we came here, you know, it's really changed my life as far as I, I, I'm very more public about you know, being a child of Christ than I ever was prior. And I mean, every time I say I'm a child of Christ, that gives me goosebumps just to be able to say it. The church mission statement is mentioned every day, every service. You know, really wants you to uh, play a part in you know the overall growth and success of the church. This church can accommodate any situation that you're in, including even having a special needs child. One of the things that I've uh, learned as a pastor is whenever you talk about generosity, uh, most people assume it's because the church needs money. And one of the things that I want you to hear today is that that is absolutely true. (laughs) That is absolutely true. Because we're a self-funded nonprofit, and the only way we do anything, any of the things that we do, is because of your generosity. So I want you to hear that that's absolutely true. The way that you, uh, the way that you grow a ministry, whatever it might be, a special needs ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry, starting a new service, is you invest in that. You invest in that with people and with resources, so that, that's absolutely true. Th- this church right now is involved in two great efforts. Uh, one of them we kicked off last week with a groundbreaking uh, of a multi-phase project to expand and enhance our church campus and to prepare for future growth. First phase of that is 200 additional parking spaces, which we desperately need, especially in the, uh, the Sunday morning hour. Uh, we, we started that, we had a groundbreaking, which is why it rained all week this week, by the way, just in case you didn't know, that's why. So you just decide to build something and the rains will come. That's, that's what happens. Uh, but by the end of the spring, we hope to be involved in the second phase of that project, which is a major renovation and enhancement of children's spaces, youth spaces, our gathering space right outside this, this sanctuary. We have a third phase that we're gonna be doing later. And all that's possible uh, because of uh, the, the generosity of this church. In 2018, we did a capital campaign and invited this church to make commitments to those projects over the course of three years. And those first two phases, our hope is, uh, we'll we'll see how close we are, but our hope is we'll be able to complete both of those first two phases uh, without taking on any additional debt or or very little additional debt, which is a a testimony to you as a church and, and your generosity. That is one of the great efforts that we're a part of, that not every church is a part of, but this church is because of the growth that, that we have experienced. The other effort is our ongoing effort, the ongoing ministry that we have, and that's our operating budget. 
And I'll, I'll just let you know as a church family, because it's important for you to know that, that in the first year of, of, of receiving funds for our capital campaign, this isn't too much of a surprise for us, but it is a reality that we lag behind in our operating budget, which constrains what we're able to do in our ongoing ministry. Now that's important for you to know and that's, that, that's important information. I want you to know that the reason that we talk about generosity, there's a much more important reason why this is a topic that we need to talk about as people of faith who've surrendered our lives to Jesus and that is that generosity is an essential practice of a growing disciple of Jesus. Some of you may know the name Martin Luther. He was one of the leaders of the Protestant Reformation 400 plus years ago. Uh, He wrote this, there are three conversions necessary to the Christian faith. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. P-U-R-S-E, which is the 16th century way of referring to our financial life. And that each of those areas are areas where a conversion must happen in order to live in obedience to the Christian faith. 400 years later, that's still true. You may have heard before that Jesus talked more about money than any other topic. He talked more about money than he talked about love. He talked more about money than he talked about faith and prayer combined. Of the 39 parables that Jesus told, 11 of them were focused on money. Now that's not to say that money is more important than love or money is more important than faith or money is more important than prayer, but it is to say that our financial life is integrated fully into our faith life because it is a part of our whole life. In Matthew 6, Jesus says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Here's another way of thinking about that, that money follows the heart. Money follows the heart, which is part of why this is an essential thing for us to talk about as people of faith, because our hearts are what we seek to surrender to God. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, either you will love the one and despise the other, Uh, you'll be devoted to one and, and not devoted to the other, you cannot serve both God and money. We talked about that in our culture uh, today, we often use this word blessing in a very flippant way. We we usually refer to it uh, in reference to some material thing that that we have in our life. And the hidden danger is that that we might assume that, that something is our greatest blessing when in fact it is our greatest liability. That's the story of the rich man in Mark chapter 10. He's referred to as young and a ruler in in some of the other gospels. So we often refer to this as the parable of the rich young ruler. It's a man who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus shares with him the commandments and he says, well, I've done all those things. I've done them since my youth. And, and, And then Mark says that Jesus, out of love, then said to him, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor. That's at that point where where this man realizes that what he had assumed was his greatest blessing was in fact his greatest liability because what we read after that is that at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving because he was one who had great wealth. Now Luke chapter 12, uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 13 and we're going to read a a similar story that Jesus tells. It begins in this way, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. 
Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from, from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now you might notice if you look back at the opening verses of, of chapter 12 that Jesus is in the middle of a teaching. And verse 13 is an interruption. In the middle of Jesus' teaching, a guy says, hey, Jesus, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And this is one of those nice moments in Jesus' life where he doesn't say, hey, I've worked on this all week long. I've prepared this message. Why are you interrupting me? He, he instead says to him, why are you asking me? And then he kind of rolls with the punches because he's the greatest preacher ever. And Jesus then tells a story about this, this man who has this abundant harvest and he doesn't know what to do with this problem. <laughs> So he tears down his barns and he builds bigger barns. And again, we find an individual who has made an assumption that something is his greatest blessing when in fact it is his greatest liability. Because in the course of managing the abundance of his life, he is referred to as a fool because he's missed the meaning of life. And this is a temptation that we all face in our lives that we would find ourselves in the course of life and managing the abundance of our life, missing the meaning of life. That we would find ourselves mistaking what we assume to be our greatest blessing and finding out later is in fact our greatest liability. It isn't what is propelling us forward, it is instead what is holding us back. Now, if you put those two stories together, you could assume that what Jesus is saying is that money is evil, that money is inherently bad and you should get rid of it. You shouldn't even touch it. You should go to your bank tomorrow and you should empty all of your accounts. Now, the bank president here on the front row does not want you to do that and neither does Jesus, okay? Because that's not the theme of Jesus' teaching on money. It's not the theme of the teaching on money that we find throughout the scriptures. Here's what is consistent. God is the source of all life. God is the creator of all things. God is the creator of your life and everything that is a part of your life. And everything belongs to God. That's a consistent theme from page one to the last. Everything belongs to God. And our primary task, this is on page one, our primary task is to steward the gift of life, to manage and care for the blessing of life that God has given to us, to make sure that we don't come to the end of our life and only then recognize that we have wasted our life that we have not fully invested our life in doing the work that God has called us to do in, in being a part of bringing God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven in fulfillment of the prayer that we pray every single 
day. This is our primary task. We brought nothing into this world. We'll take nothing out of this world. That's actually in the Bible, by the way. First Timothy chapter six. The Apostle Paul continues in that same section saying this, if we have food and clothing, we will be content. For those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then we come to one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. Listen to what Paul says. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So so I want you to hear that money is not inherently evil. It doesn't have intrinsic power to destroy your life. Hear this, it isn't how much you have of it, but it's how you think about it. Because how you think about it determines what you do with it. And what we do with it determines what it does in us. There are three conversions, the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, the conversion of the purse. There is this danger that we all face of assuming that something is our greatest blessing that is in fact our greatest liability and we all face the temptation of finding ourselves in the course of life, managing the abundance of life and missing the meaning of life. And I want you to hear that this is a shared temptation. This is a shared responsibility. This is a shared danger. None of us are immune to this. Which is why Jesus spent so much time talking about it and why in our world we should probably talk about it more because of the abundance in which many of us live. Now, the Bible shares two very clear, simple practices to enable us to live faithfully in this area of our life. Very clear, very simple ways of thinking about how to order and guide this area of our life in obedience to Christ and to protect ourselves from these temptations, these dangers, these traps that that Paul refers to. The first principle is the practice of first fruits. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way through the new, whether in an agrarian society where uh, where the product is, is, is a harvest or whatever the fruit of your life is, that you give the first of those fruits to God, that you give off the top and not off the bottom. You get give out of the abundance, not out of what is left over. And I want you to hear this very clearly. This practice is just as important as the second one that I'm gonna talk about. That we give first as an expression of what we often say, God, I want you to be first in my life. We give to God first because we want to tangibly express that God is first in our life. Now the second principle that is connected to the principle of first fruits is the principle of the tithe. It is to return to God in a proportional way what we receive. A tithe refers to a tenth. And off the top, we bring to God a tenth of what we receive. And both of these practices together are the way that we express in a tangible way, God, I want you to be first in my life. And I want to trust you with my life. I want to trust you with today. I want to trust you with tomorrow. I want to live into my understanding of the goodness that you have had in my life all the days of my life. 
and I want to ensure that I protect my heart, I protect my life from missing the meaning of life in the process of managing the abundance of life. Next weekend, we're going to do something that we do every single year. And that's invite everyone who is a member of this church family who calls this uh, your, your church home uh, to share what we call a commitment card. And it is an expression uh, of, of what you uh, are financially going to give to the ministry of our church. And there's two reasons that we do it. Number one, commitments are important. Commitments are what guide and direct our lives. Commitments set boundaries for us in our life and we need those in our life. And shared commitments are just as important for us all together to say this is what we're going to do. We do it because commitments are important and every single year, I'll say for my family, I think it's true for your family, this is a big deal for us to make that commitment together to remind ourselves that this is what we do because we have surrendered our life to Jesus. The second reason is it enables your leadership to make wise decisions about your sacrifice, about your generosity. Because knowing where we are enables us to make decisions about how we're gonna invest those, uh, those shared gifts in the kingdom that we are praying God will bring here as it is in heaven. But as you prepare for that, I wanna invite you to do something this week that you may have never done before. And it may be a scary thing to think about, but, but I promise it'll be okay. You won't, you won't hurt yourself. The idea is this, that you would take the time to identify for yourself, for your family, what a full tithe would be. It's, it's pretty easy. You, you, you write down what you expect to receive and you move the decimal point one space to the left. That's how it works. And I wanna invite you to write down that number for a couple of reasons. For some of you, you will recognize that what you give is actually higher than that. Because you, over the course of your life, you've made a decision to become an extravagant giver. Out of the joy you've experienced and out of the abundance of your life, you've made the decision that you want to give more. And, and that's an intentional decision that you have made. For some of you, you're going to write down that number and there's going to be a gap. And it may be a small gap. It may be a large gap. But whatever that number might be, here's what I want to challenge you to do, to spend these this next few days, this week, praying about that and asking yourself this question, what is holding me back from bringing to God a full tithe? What is holding me back from bringing to God the full tithe? Is it fear? Is it a lack of trust in God's provision, God's goodness, God's faithfulness in your life? Is it a fear of what might happen tomorrow? What is it that is holding you back? Or maybe the question is, where is God's tithe going if it's not going to God? To simply take the time to evaluate, to pray about that and, and understand this, you're not bringing this back next week to turn it into me, okay? This is just for you an exercise to challenge yourself to think about this area of your life. Two additional thoughts and we're done. Number one, you will never get anywhere if you don't start somewhere. And this is a response to what I often hear people say, which is I can't wait till I get to a place in my life where I can be generous like others have been generous with me. And if you've ever thought that, let me just tell you, you will never get there. 
You will never get there. You have to start somewhere if you wanna give, get anywhere. So if you are someone who is not living into this aspect of, of your faith life at all, you have to start somewhere. Give $10 a week, give $20 a week. If you're doing that, do double in the next, next year. Or if you're not doing it yet, start giving a first fruit. Start doing it at the beginning instead of the end. But, but make a decision to start somewhere. Otherwise, you'll never get anywhere. The second thing is, you'll never get there by accident. You'll never get there by accident. So when you look at that, that number and you think about this challenge of faith, you may think to yourself, I can't, I can't do this because of other commitments that you've made in your life. That might be true. But that doesn't mean that you can't make plans to live into this aspect of your life over the course of time. You might be able to make a step this year and a step next year and a step after that so that you can fully live into this challenge of faith of bringing to God the full tithe, of bringing to God a first fruit as an expression of your commitment, of your faith uh, understanding that God is first in your life and that you wanna trust God with all of your life. What you give will enable your church to not only do what we do, but perhaps to do more. That is absolutely true. But I also believe wholeheartedly because I've experienced it in my life and I've seen it in the lives of countless others that generosity will change your life. Generosity will change your life. I have never, ever met anyone who has committed themselves to bringing the first fruit and committing themselves to the tithe who hasn't experienced the joy of that practice. Never met anybody. Because it's not about duty, it's not about obligation, it's out of the joy and the honor of investing in God's kingdom. I guarantee you it will change your life. I've tried to figure out how we could make a money back guarantee on that. Because <laughs> I absolutely believe in it. I've experienced it in my own life and I've seen it in the lives of others. That living generously is how we double the blessing that God has poured into our life, but it's also an essential practice of a growing disciple of Jesus, which is why I wanna challenge you to pray about this area of your life and to pray about how God might be calling you to live more faithfully in this area of your commitment to Christ. Will you pray with me? Loving God, today we give you thanks for the many blessings that you have poured into our life. We give you thanks, Lord, for everything that you have done, the goodness, the grace, the compassion, all that you have done to shape us and mold us, all that you have surrounded us with all the days of our life, that your love precedes us, it goes, it goes with us, it's in front of us, it welcomes us into each of our tomorrows. We are so grateful for that, Lord. And we pray that in our lives each and every day we would live out that gratitude and the generosity that we share in every aspect of our life so that we might fully and faithfully reflect what you have done in us and what you have called us to do all around us. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.